everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline, an episode we are finally recording after spending half an hour discussing yellow jackets. But we're going to record now. Worth it. Or should we just keep talking about yellow jackets? If you haven't seen yellow jackets, get the Showtime free trial. Do yourself a favor. It's really exciting. It's a very exciting show. It's really good. It's like Lost when Lost was really good. The first couple seasons. Yeah. Everyone was really into it. It's like that, but perfectly set in the 90s with a really good soundtrack too. Really well done. Very good soundtrack. But I think everyone should keep the showtime for at least a few months as a show of good faith. Highly recommend. I'm keeping it. I told Katie about it two days ago and she's done already. So it's really good. I'm a good friend. I want to discuss things with you. (laughs) I'm a good friend and I don't want to be left out. So I jumped on it. I think it's that second part. (laughs) We are covering an episode that is a classic, a Kimberly's favorite classic, perhaps. Is it? It, I hope so, because, oh, my words. Yeah. So we had an Andrea. It was a new episode. And unfortunately, it was topics that we don't like to talk about on the show. I miss Andrea. would love to do an Andrea episode. But she's still very important. So important to watch. I It's always recommended viewing. We're just not doing it. But if you want to th- throw your TV in rage, oh. it's your episode. Yeah. That episode was my villain origin story. It's very upsetting. Where did you get that? I stole it from somebody on the internet. It's very clever, though. It's good. I, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to take that, too. We'll just pass that one along. This episode is one that I've been wanting to do for a very long time, and it was finally on Peacock, so I was super excited. It's called The Inside Man. It's a very different dateline than we normally do. I think it's unlike any other dateline that we've ever covered. In some ways, it feels very much like a dateline, and in others, not at all. Yeah. It doesn't follow our typical formatting of datelines. Also, the host is Lester Holt. Well, I don't know what's happening. I love when Lester Holt hosts. It feels like he has tied up Josh Mankiewicz in his closet, and he's like, I'm the host now. And then he lets him go after he's done for the week. How many episodes has Lester Holt reported on all the way through? Very few. Very few. Okay. All right. Very few that you've seen or just very, was there like a period when he was trying it? Yes. He used to, I think a lot or maybe a medium amount. Okay. Then he got busy. Got busy. Yeah, he's busy. So this is season 20, episode 68. It is September 14th, 2012 that it aired. Two enemies who didn't trust each other faced off across a table, one in handcuffs. Criminal con man, Jimmy Keene, and a prosecutor, Larry Beaumont. Larry called Jimmy the John Gotti of King Kiki, which we do not know what that is until later. But they don't explain it. No, they don't. And I had to put the subtitles on. And I kept thinking he was saying Waikiki. Right. Okay. Or Monkiki, which I think is a little animal, stuffed animal. You're thinking of a Monchichi. Monchichi, Monchichi. That's what I'm thinking of. That's a little animal, right? They're little monkeys. Yeah, they're so adorable. I used to love Monchichis. Larry had just put Jimmy away in prison. And now he pulls Jimmy out to talk to him. And Jimmy was terrified. Larry pushes an accordion file across the table. And there are photos of dead girls. And if I were Jimmy, I'd be like, I'm just a con man. I didn't do it. 
I swear I didn't do it. You do the Pam from the office. I'm not going down for this. I'm not going down for this. But Larry has a scheme in mind. Jimmy, we have a man who we think has killed many young women. And I think you're the person who can help catch this suspected serial killer. He thinks Jimmy is the man for many reasons, one of which is that he's maybe seen Jimmy's B-roll throughout the entire episode where he is strutting around town, around various locations in a way too tight white T-shirt and a leather jacket and sunglasses. So he's a cool cat. He never stops walking. I wish we could get the copyright to Staying Alive. His, that's what he's channeling in his head. Well, absolutely. He's like literally singing it to himself and he's like doing my strut, strut, strut. Anything Sylvester Stallone listens to in his head is what he's listening to. Yes. So Lester tells us if this all seems fodder for a Hollywood movie, Brad Pitt agrees. The megastar who was Benjamin Button and Moneybags Billy Beans consider playing none other than Jimmy Keen. I love Moneyball, not Moneybags. Sorry, Moneyball. Moneybags is like Scrooge McDuck. Moneybags, Mr. Monopoly. I think his name is Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. I love that Lester gave us some of Brad Pitt's roles in case like we weren't sure who he was. Or I find that comforting somehow. <laughs> there might be people in the world that don't. And that's good. Yeah. Also, they show us Brad and Angelina on the red carpet. Jimmy Keen tells <laughs> us that Brad Pitt liked the idea. Okay, so Jimmy is talking to himself. This is going to be confusing. Jimmy Keen tells us Brad Pitt liked the idea that Jimmy Keen was willing to risk his life to find out some answers to a case. He talks about himself in the third person, which is so perfect because there's a famous Seinfeld episode where there's a guy named Jimmy and he talks about himself in the third person. And he says things like, Jimmy's going for a layup. Jimmy takes the shot. And they make fun of him. But Elaine, he says to Elaine, Jimmy thinks you're really pretty. Jimmy would love to take you out on a date. And so she thinks he's talking about this other guy at the gym that she thinks is really hot. And she thinks that must be Jimmy. So she thinks she's going out with him, but she's going out with this Jimmy. And then George copies the whole thing because he's the he copies guys that he thinks are really cool. And so he starts saying things like, George likes spicy chicken and George is getting upset. And so <laughs> that becomes sort of a running through line on the show is George screaming. George is getting upset. You've informed me before that I'm not allowed to do this. Are you still standing by that decision or are you more lax if I give it a shot a couple of times to see how it works? Try, try talking about yourself in the third person. Yeah, just out of nowhere. You could try. I'm going to give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Katie takes the shot. Lester says that clearly this guy, Jimmy, is one of a kind, charismatic, conceited, courageous, and complicated. Lester, I love the alliteration. You know I do. But I'd like to introduce you to this thing called the rule of threes. Just going to take one of those out. I thought it was okay. You did? Yeah. Which one would you take out, though? What are you taking out? I would take out courageous. No, complicated. I would take out complicated. I don't find him particularly complicated. I think charismatic, conceited, and courageous would be perfect. Fine. Yeah. Just take out complicated. Yeah. Just the ticket. But we're getting two more C's very shortly after this. We have five C's total. Five C's total? Did I write down the other ones? Well, they talk about him in high school. 
they talk about his early personality and his charm and his cockiness. Yeah, you're right. Five C's. Jimmy had the personality, charm, and cockiness to dream that a Hollywood star would want to play him. They called him the assassin in high school, which is kind of ironic. And Jimmy was a superstar athlete, Mr. Personality, big man on campus, big fish in a little pond, all of the idioms. He is everything. He is from Kankakee, Illinois. His dad was his hero. His dad was a cop. Maybe that is complicated because he later becomes a criminal. That has to be complicated. They say, no, that's why Lester said complicated. See, it all circles back because his dad's because his dad is again a c word, a cop, a c word, and he is a con man, criminal. Did it? Yeah. But when he was a teen, he started selling drugs, first weed, and then with a c, cocaine. There we go. This episode is sponsored by the letter C and a few other people, but also the letter C (laughs) unofficially. Wasn't there an episode we did where they said like the five rules of a healthy marriage Mm -hmm. and they were all C's? Do you remember that? I don't remember one of them. Communication has to be one of them. Christianity? What was a Christ-like dedication? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so. I can't remember, but we made up a bunch of them. I don't think we could remember what this five were. Anyways, in Chicago, he was a, which is also a C. Did I say that? There is a big fish. He was a big fish in a big pond. Lake Michigan, to be exact. Lester. Good job, Lester. I felt like that was a Josh Mankiewicz joke. Maybe Josh helped him. Maybe Josh did his punch up. He was his own in crowd. And then we see this douche photo of Jimmy with sunglasses and he's dressed up like he's going to Diddy's white party leaning up on a red sports car taking a break from all the strutting he's leaning his legs are spread wide in that photo as well they are yeah okay so we've got man spreading and leaning on the hood of the car kind of like Tawny Katane yeah red sports car like Tom Cruise right that's like a cool guy thing did he have sunglasses and he had sunglasses yeah it was the whole thing all right Yes. He hung out at all the hot clubs. He knew the owners. He got carte blanche there. Invincible. He felt invincible. He was also super rich because we find out he has multiple houses in Chicago. So one day in 1996, he's relaxing at one of his houses when the DA, FBI and local police all came in, bust in yelling freeze. So he is caught in a drug sting by Larry Beaumont the guy he's sitting across the table from at the beginning. They called it Operation Snowplow because I guess of all the cocaine. That's how much cocaine was there. Snowplow, enough to plow. Yeah. Yeah. Larry prosecuted him in court and Jimmy was given a 10-year sentence. So Jimmy knew that he had let his dad down. And I was like, oh, what made you think that, Jimmy? Was the cocaine? But he let his he's let his dad down like from high school. Yeah, for a long time. He started really early letting his dad down. But he kept all the drug stuff from his dad. So his dad just thought he was really successful. His dad, who's a cop, just thought he was really rich at a very young age doing, I don't know what. Just a, didn't ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I feel like the dad had to have asked more questions if he was a cop. 
So in 1998, he has been put away in prison and Larry Beaumont comes to him with an offer of freedom. Jimmy would have to become an undercover informant in one of the roughest prisons in the country, the maximum security lockup in Springfield, Missouri, which is a psych prison with hardcore killers and the criminally insane. They all have life sentences. They are crazy. They have nothing to do but hurt you. And they have nothing to lose because they have life sentences. He's just cocky enough to be our man. He's also a really good talker. Mm-hmm. He's a con man. Yep. He's a schmoozer. And I, he knows it. Yeah. So interesting. It's it, also this is a very is this often done? This seems really weird. It does. I mean, we see informants all the time. I kind of assumed that a lot of times, well, at least the ones we've seen on Dateline, they're voluntarily coming forward with information. They weren't hired specifically to be informants or given deals. I've not seen that very much. I've seen it only a few times on Datelines. I did have an inkling that perhaps Big Jim was pulling some strings behind the scenes to say, hey, My boy needs to be scared straight. I want you to send him to the hardest prison and give him a job and then let him out, kick him out on his tuchus and let him fly straight for me. Do you think that happened? Big Jim did that? No, I don't. Sorry, they're not from New York, are they? Where where are they from? He's a cop. I don't feel like he has that sort of authority. You don't like that? You don't think that could happen? Also, I don't. Yeah. Why does he talk like that? He's from Illinois. I made him talk like Prison Mike for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because this seemed very odd that you would take someone that had charges that were so wildly different. And just because they were charismatic, you wouldn't send an undercover off. Well, yeah, I guess you wouldn't send an undercover officer into a situation like that. I don't know. Yeah, it just seems extreme. No, we all saw what happened to Olivia Benson on SVU when she was put undercover in prison. We all didn't see that. Katie didn't see it. Tell me what happened. It was bad. It was one of her scariest episodes. She was almost assaulted by, a, I think, a guard. Oh, my. And it was very scary. Oh, boy. So I don't like when bad things happen to Olivia. We rewind. In Georgetown, Illinois, in a rural area, 15-year-old Jessie Roach was a high school sophomore. She was a homebody who loved to watch Gone with the Wind. Mm. You know, that was me in high school. I had that phase in junior high. Yeah. Yeah, I had a huge Gone with the Wind phase. One day she went out for a bike ride and she disappeared. Her bike is found on the side of the road. And later her body is found in a cornfield. So investigator Miller... And prosecutor Beaumont are on the case. The first lead they get is that a man is seen chasing two girls in a van. It's always in a van. Van life has really taken up the mantle of rebuilding the damage that serial killers have done to the image of vans. And I don't know if they're succeeding. The man with the van, which is the name of an ID show, by the way, is Larry Hall. Larry Hall was a Civil War reenactor, of course, who traveled the Midwest fighting in fantasy battles and driving in his van. If he wasn't so creepy, I would actually think that that was really cool and would maybe want to have a documentary made about him. And I would like to get a van and follow him around, but not this guy, like another guy. Like a groupie? 
now just to see what all this fuss was about. Sorry, have you never been to a reenactment? No. Yeah, talk to my mom about it. Your mom took you to, okay. My mom loves history. So in her mind, it's completely historical and really fun for kids to watch. It's not. It's so boring. Investigator Miller brings in Larry and shows him a picture of Jesse. And Larry Hall flinches and refuses to look at the photo. So Miller knows that it's him. He finds witnesses who remember Larry being at a battle reenactment the weekend before Jesse was found or went missing in her hometown. So he was in that area. The reason the witnesses remember Larry from that specific battle is a giant mutton chops. And we see them in all of our B-roll footage of or B-roll photos of Larry giant I don't know how to they're so bushy they're fluffy yeah they're super fluffy they're really fluffy have you never seen them that fluffy before no I don't think I have not in real life it was almost like he teased them out it they were really intense it was he had a really long beard if he had let it grow but instead it was just the chops so imagine that if you will yeah they were at least like six inches out on each side of fluff the second reason they the witnesses remember him specifically being at that battle is because he's playing a soldier fighting in the wrong war. Oh, what? I thought maybe he was playing for the wrong side. In soccer, you score a goal on your own team by accident. This is where I, my mind went because I was like, surely not. He's not playing for the, in the wrong war, but he was wearing a Civil War uniform but this was a Revolutionary War reenactment. I have so many questions. Specifically, he was wearing a Civil War hat. It wasn't the whole outfit. Yes, the whole outfit. No, they said the hat. They said and the thing, the jacket and everything. He was specifically a Civil War reenactor. That's what he'd love to do. At a revol- Okay, I misunderstood. Because I, I was like, why are they making such a big deal? He just wore the wrong hat. I missed heard that completely. Excuse me. Maybe I misunderstood. I took it to be that he was wearing the whole uniform is wrong. But because if it's just a hat, just take it off. Well, or go back to his van where he probably has his other uniforms. But he's a Civil War reenactor. But if he's a Civil War reenactor, then why are you at a Revolutionary War? Are you filling in for someone? <laughs> I think he was just driving. He drove around you know, all the Midwest going to all of these battles. He wanted to join this battle. The question is, do, do you get fun of in that situation? Are you bullied? It's not acceptable. Wearing a Civil War costume to a Revolutionary War recital is a lot like wasting a lot of time and money and food shopping at the grocery store and searching online for recipes that your family won't get sick of when you could just use HelloFresh. It doesn't make sense. HelloFresh is right there. Yep. HelloFresh gives you farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. One of my goals in the new year is getting less takeout because I was getting takeout like an embarrassing amount of time. Like the takeout people know me by name and getting better at cooking. And HelloFresh has helped me with both of those goals. They have easy meals for dummies, a.k.a. Kimberly in the kitchen that are foolproof 
They are ready within 30 minutes or less. They have easy cleanup option meals. Like you can pick meals that are easy cleanup. They have meals that are 20 minutes or less. They have vegetarian. They have pescatarian. They have calorie smart. They have gourmet if you fancy. They have breakfast on the go and 10-minute lunches and desserts, which is perfect because none of my New Year's goals involved eating less dessert. One of my favorite recipes is the zucchini and sun-dried tomato panini with sweet potato wedges. It's one of their all-star menus that people request so much that they bring it back, you know, and it's like everyone cheers like at a concert, which is, or I do. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, it sounds delicious. One of my favorite new recipes is the plant-based protein ragu rigatoni bake. And when companies start to use plant-based protein, it brings a tear to my eye. Aw. Kimberly is getting emotional. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Dateline16 and use code Dateline16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com forward slash Dateline16 and use code Dateline16 for up to 16 free meals. Amazing. I know. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. This is HelloFresh, America's number one meal. Kid, I'm calling from inside the house, your kitchen. Oh, sorry. You, this voice sounds a lot like your DJ voice. This is DJ Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> They're very similar. I'm a DJ and I have pre-portioned ingredients. Farm fresh in your fridge right now. Check the cupboard beneath your sink. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, HelloFresh. Thank you, HelloFresh. Sorry, HelloFresh comes with pre-portioned ingredients. It does not come with a pre-packaged DJ under your sink. (laughs) You have to provide that yourself. In case we weren't clear, you have to bring the DJ to your house. Sorry. BY-owned DJ. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Kimberly's getting upset. Miller brings in... (laughs) Larry again. And he now Larry says, oh, well, um, yeah, maybe I was in that area. I don't know. I go to so many reenactments. He goes to so many. Does he have a job? That's his job. I don't. It appears that he does not have a job. He's a wanderer. He's a rolling stone. And he drives around in his van. Look, the van we're seeing in B-roll is not the van I think that he was rolling around in. I'm just going to state that before we get to B-roll. Okay. We're shown a really nice van. Yeah, I don't feel like he has a very nice van. I have a feeling his van looked nothing like that. His van is like the van we did for a murder on Blood Mountain, the Patreon episode, Gary in the van with the red colored dog. That van that was the creepiest van I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His van is like that. Maybe they go, they drive around in like a caravan together, Larry and Gary. So... Finally, Larry confesses that he killed Jesse and he confesses that he killed a college student from Indiana named Trisha Reitler. But then he changes his story and he denies ever confessing. And he says it was all a confusion about this dream that he had. And that's what he was talking about. The Indiana police are now involved because they're trying to solve Trisha's homicide or she's missing. They're trying to find her. And they think, He's just a wannabe. He gets his kicks from confessing to crimes he didn't commit. He follows the crimes. He reads about them. And then he gets obsessed with them. But Miller and Beaumont think he's a serial killer. 
So they arrest him for Jesse's murder and he goes to trial in 1995. He's found guilty. But Beaumont thinks he's killed a lot more. So Beaumont starts investigating Trish's death, even though it's not his case. He has nothing to do with that area. He's never met the parents. It's not his case, but he wants to solve Trish's murder too. Trisha Reitler was 19 and studying to be a family counselor. She is walking home one night to her dorm when she never made it home. And Beaumont is sure that Larry did it and he wants to solve it. So Beaumont, again, not involved with the case, just starts to lead searches for Trisha's body in the woods where Larry said he dreamed he buried Trisha, but they don't find anything. So he decides to do this crazy stunt, put someone in the cell with Larry. And everyone in his department thinks he's insane. He has to fight to get it approved. And he's like, trust me, this is going to work. Which shows you that this plan is not that usually done because everyone in his department thought it was crazy. So that leads me to believe they don't do this very often. Yeah, that's correct. And what I'm guessing is, too, after interviewing Larry for a bunch of times, I think that Beaumont could see, okay, he really responds to this kind of personality. Maybe he really wants to be like a macho kind of guy. And so you put him with someone like that who's giving him positive feedback and he may just start to open up because he wants to be cool. Mm -hmm. He wants to be friends with this guy and have this guy like him. I'm impressed with Beaumont because if he did it because of personality reasons, I think it's actually that is smart. Yeah, it's a I think a really smart plan. I don't think it's usually done, especially not someone from a different prison going to a higher security prison than they are at. And it's a psych prison too. That is in, that is for lack of a better word, insane. So he chooses Jimmy because he's a smart con man. He's been trained in martial arts. He charms people. And he says, (laughs) Katie's laughing. And he offers Jimmy freedom, but Jimmy has to find where Trisha's body is. No body, no deal. And we see Jimmy strutting. He's still strutting. So we know he's out. He could have just timed out or he could have succeeded. We don't know at this point, but he's strutting. We don't know where he's going. He's like window shopping through the town. Well, he changes outfits too. We get a little bit of a fashion show. He does change outfits a few times for his struts. (laughs) But mainly we're in his classic look, which is the Fonz, which is the white T-shirt. Changes outfits. He's like catwalking on one street and then does a quick change and then catwalks another. You didn't notice that? Oh, I got it in B-roll. I'll tell you. I'll walk you through it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, my God. I feel like he told the Dateline producers, wait, I have a quick change in my car. (laughs) Let me just switch up. Oh, I think he brought 14 outfits to the shoot and they were like, we don't have time for this. And he's like, no, we're going to shoot over here. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to crouch down. I'm going to look at the sand. I'm going to gather the sand and let it fall through my fingers. (laughs) That's at the end. (laughs) Like time spent sand through the hourglass. Yeah, those were all his ideas. No one needs to direct Jimmy Keene. He's got this. He's got this handled. So just everyone back up and watch the Jimmy show. Jimmy Strutton. So Jimmy knew this it sounds insane. This is a mission impossible. No way. He calls up Beaumont and he says, Jimmy says no. <laughs> and, 
And Beaumont's like, wait, you, Jimmy, or is there another Jimmy? No, Jimmy says no. Jimmy crack corn, not Jimmy crack cases, Beaumont. (laughs) Come on. That could have been your best title. Why did you ruin it now? I have some other ones. And if they don't turn out as well, we'll pretend like I did this then. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) Thank you. You're on fire this season. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm going, I'm reverting back to childhood. So everything that I have is like we sing around the campfire and like (laughs) children's parables. And then you just insert what's happening here and it seems to work. Or just nursery rhymes. Yeah. So Jimmy says no. And then Jimmy's dad has a stroke. And Jimmy to dad was his hero. He visits him in jail. He's very frail. He's in a wheelchair. Jimmy realizes he has a one-time only offer to fix the mistakes he'd made and get out of prison while his dad was still alive. So that's a very good reason to risk your life and to do this. You would do it, right? You'd have to try. You'd have to give it a shot. You'd have to say, because you couldn't just live with yourself if you didn't at least try. The thing is, though, you could get killed in that maximum security psychiatric prison. I don't feel like my dad would want me to risk it. I think he'd be like, don't do it. I don't know if Jimmy knows that he's mortal. (laughs) That's a great point. He said he felt immortal, untouchable. So Jimmy, after his dad leaves the prison, Jimmy calls Beaumont and says, Jimmy is in. Jimmy will solve this case for you. Also, he doesn't always talk in the third person. It's just really that Seinfeld episode. And he does it like once or twice. And that was enough for me to make this whole episode about that. So Jimmy, apologies. So the mission was on. On August 3rd, 1998, Jimmy is escorted into the psychiatric prison. His cover story is that he is a weapons dealer and he had a psychiatric break when he was given a 40-year sentence. So that's why he's there. He has one contact inside the chief prison psychiatrist knows who he is and what he's supposed to do there. He has one contact on the outside, a female FBI agent who visits him as his girlfriend to monitor him. And you know, he thinks she has the hots for him and she totally doesn't. I don't even know her. We never meet her, but I know that much is true. Yeah, we know that much. He also has her phone number. And so if he ever calls her, they would get him out in 24 hours. This is all very espionage, and I loved it. I'm shocked that those are the only two contacts. He only had one actually inside the prison seems just too dangerous. Yeah. I would want one other prison official to know. So I had a backup in case, you know, I would just want three people, I guess. Yeah. Would make me feel more comfortable than just two. They just need to keep it as little as possible because if the prisoners found out he was an informant. He would get shanked. He would get shanked. So this FBI agent, I love the FBI agent, the female who's visiting is his girlfriend, though. Like, I love that. Amy. Yeah, Amy. Is her name Amy? (laughs) Do we think her name is Amy? Okay. Yeah, Amy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she visits. He has her phone number. If if he calls her, he's supposed to be out in 24 hours. Lester says, they have your back. And Jimmy says, they have my back. And Lester says, at least you thought. And Jimmy says, at least I thought. You're like, uh oh, oh boy. At least he can still strut. He can still strut. So he's okay. He's burning so many calories in his B roll. Lester tells us that Jimmy is doing this for himself. Basically, he doesn't want us to think right now that Jimmy's being a good guy. He is doing this for his own self interest. 
He doesn't really care about Trisha or her family right now. The first day he's in prison in the mess hall, he sees Larry eating by himself. He goes over and he says he's a new inmate and needs directions to the library. Totally sounds to me like the beginning of a porno. (laughs) It really does. Or just like, Like, I'm new in this prison. Where's the library? Can you show me? I'm just a new inmate. An after school special about bullying. And then at that point, someone will come up behind him and be like, hey, new kid, and slam the tray down. (laughs) What's up, four eyes? Like that. Is that what happens? (laughs) The library's for nerds. What you're going to book read? Nerd. (laughs) So either a porno or an after school special, nothing in between. (laughs) No, it's one extreme or the other. That's it. That's all we got. Larry gives him directions to the library and Jimmy pats him on the shoulder and says, Thank you. I appreciate that from a cool guy like you. I feel like that's so patronizing. It leads me to believe that you were right, that Beaumont maybe told Jimmy he really wants to be a cool guy. He wants to be like thought of as really cool. So maybe kiss up to him a little. I feel like anytime someone who looks like Jimmy, who sort of looks a little bit like Archer, or thinks he looks like Archer in a lot of his stuff. He has sort of these steely blue eyes and black, very thick, full hair. Yeah. And I think if you're going in there with your thick black mop of hair and going up to Larry, who's... <laughs> mutton choppy. Yeah, he's mutton chop. He's a Civil War reenactor. He's not as blessed in the looks department. Yeah. As... Jimmy is. And he doesn't have the confidence even close to what Jimmy has. So if you're saying, you're a cool guy, he's clearly not a cool guy and not as cool as you. (laughs) He's an informant. Red flag. Yeah. And I feel like that goes a lot to my theory of why Larry is not smart at all. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. This is sort of a situation like you're the nerd and you're being asked to the school dance by a really pretty girl and she's only doing it because it's a bring a nerd to a party party. Is that a thing? And whoever brings the biggest nerd wins. And then they're all going to laugh at you. That I don't have any personal experience with that in case you were wondering, but I've seen it on TV. Yeah, it's much better to stay home and pray with your mother. Yeah, <laughs> Don't burn a school down. Just stay home and pray. So Larry and him would become friends. They would talk. And eventually Larry asked Jimmy to join his breakfast club. Don't you. Don't you. Forget forget about about me. me. (laughs) I'll be in prison having some breakfast cheese. Baby. (laughs) Don't you. Come shank me. Oh, that's great. He explains to us that in prisons, it's a big thing to be invited to join a group to have breakfast with them. It sounds a lot like the lunch hall in junior high. And I feel like I might be eating alone a lot in prison. Oh, I really doubt that. So Jimmy felt like he don't feel bad for Kimberly. It's fine. I do. I don't think that you will be. (laughs) I think that you'd be very popular in prison. Thank, Thank you. Oh, boy. I think you'd be just plenty popular. Oh, boy. I think you have an uncanny way of making friends is what I'm saying. Thank thank you. So I think you'd be fine. Kimberly would make a lot of friends in prison. That sounds terrible. 
So <laughs> Jimmy feels like he's making progress. But then one day, a bunch of muscular guys come up to him and they say, the old man wants to talk to you right now. And the old man is celebrity mafioso Vincent the Chin Gigante, who I didn't know any of this. And now I want to see a whole documentary. It's also known as the Odd Father because he would wander around New York City in a bathrobe pretending to be insane. So he apparently also likes to strut around the city, but he does it in a bathrobe and mutters to himself, pretending to be crazy. The Odd Father. Wow. I'm really happy with that. And I would henceforth be like to known as Katie the Elbow, the goth mother. And I, I won't hear any other things about it. You can pick your own. <laughs> that's fine. I'm writing it down. I love it. That's totally acceptable. So the chin tells Jimmy, hey, kid, what are you doing hanging around with all those baby killers over there? From now on, I don't know if he talks like this. From now on, you hang out with us. Keep hanging around those people. You never know. Someone might come up and put a knife in your back. So he takes Jimmy under his wing. Under his chin. Come on. Under his chin. And he comes over to Jimmy's cell early in the morning and he would say, come on, kid. We're going to go play some bocce ball. Jimmy has a new friend. It's precious. And Jimmy would say, what about breakfast? And the chin would say, we're going to go get a round of bocce ball in first and then we'll have breakfast. Like breakfast is served all day. You can't just come and go. It's not an all-day buffet in prison. (laughs) Lester says to Jimmy, well, that's very nice that you have a new friend, but you are on a mission, Jimmy. You're there for Larry, the van guy. Don't forget. Jimmy is having trouble getting close to Larry then at breakfast, but he decides he's going to hang out with him at night. So at night they hang out, they talk about normal things, they become friends, and Beaumont is on the outside just getting periodic updates from Jimmy. Jimmy's been in jail for several months. Lester says he could have won a popularity contest. He won over everyone. He was the homecoming prince of the prison. Mr. Cellblock R. Yeah, Mr. Congeniality. He won over everyone, just like Beaumont knew that he would. He even won over some of his convicts with his lending library of porno magazines. I feel like this episode is going in a totally certain direction. Did they give him the porno? How did he get them in? Yeah, it's a great question. I do not know. He bribed a guard? Yeah, maybe. So it was slow going with becoming friends with Larry. And Jimmy was getting nervous that his cover was going to get blown. And he was getting impatient. He wanted to speed up their friendship. And in prison, you can't drive someone to the airport. You can't help them move the things that you would normally do to speed up a friendship. You can't help them assemble a bookshelf from a Ikea. All of the normal friendship level things don't apply in prison. You can't just give someone a monk pack bar. Giving someone a monk pack bar is like automatically level 10 on the friendship scale. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say monk pack bars in prison are like silver coins. I'd say they're like that out of prison, too. And if you give someone one of yours, they're automatically your best friend. Monk pack bars are like gold, and our podcast basically runs on them. They taste delicious, but they only have one gram of sugar or less, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. But they fill you up 
which is the amazing part. They are perfect for before or after a workout, eating before or during running errands, before recording a podcast, doing a sting operation in prison, all the things. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with the things I have to do and I don't feel like I have time to eat. So I skip a meal, which I'm learning is not good for you. And one of my goals is to eat every three to four hours. And Monk Pack Bars are really quick and portable and they fill you up. They're also delicious. They're perfect for that. They're great if you're keto or trying to eat less sugar or carbs, but they're also great if you just like things that taste good. If you don't like things that taste good, you're just a monster in a van. They are soft and chewy and also crunchy from the whole nuts and seeds. They're sweet and salty. I love the peanut butter dark chocolate because hello, peanut butter dark chocolate. I think Katie loves this caramel sea salt. I like many of the flavors, but right now I like the cinnamon almond. And then I also like the white chocolate macadamia. Yeah. Get the subscription pack because then you'll always have some on hand and you can give them out like Wonka bars and just get to a level 10 on the friendship scale with everyone, like your neighbor, your mail carrier. I give them as like holiday bonuses. You're just going to make friends everywhere. It's not a bad plan. They are that good. We have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering code DATEDATELINE at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, go to MonkPack.com dot com that's m u n k p a c k dot com and select any product enter code date dateline at checkout to save 20 percent off your purchase monk pack delicious nutritious food you can count on katie likes it <laughs> i do i like it a lot thank you monk pack thank you monk pack Katie, if you have hair issues, if you have frizzy mutton chops, we've talked a lot about prison, the damage it would do to my hair and that I wouldn't have a straightener or a blow dryer and I'd be living in a prison. So I have a whole set of problems there. Just hair problems in general. Anything that you can recommend would be amazing right now. Yeah, I got one for you. For many of us, stress is just a regular feature of daily life or just featured heavily in your daily life. Kimberly is stressed. Exactly. And nothing is more intense, say, when you have to go to a psychiatric prison and talk to a serial murderer. Yeah. And your thick black hair <laughs> is acting as some sort of helmet, which could provide possibly an added layer of extra protection. Right. So that's the kind of stress we're talking about. And stress like that can trigger physical reactions like dramatically increased hair shedding, which would be the star of this Dateline's worst nightmare in the world. I think he would just give up if he lost his hair. It would be like Samson. It would just be done. That's where all his strength comes from. Yeah. But it's not just guys like him. It's for everybody. And what's wild is that people usually lose about 50% of their total hair before they even notice an increase in shedding. That's crazy. Which is just crazy. But there's a way now to stop stress-related hair loss in its tracks and spark new, stronger hair growth. And that's with pros. 
Pros specializes in custom hair care, and they also make custom hair supplements that help reduce excess shedding and spark fuller, thicker hair growth with just two capsules a day. Through an online consultation, Pros customizes your supplements to address all the factors that could be triggering your hair issues. It could be your age, it could be hormonal changes, it could be stress levels, could be diet, could be someone comes into your cell with a razor. I don't know. But Pro's supplements use only natural, clean, and safe ingredients. They don't use drugs or hormone disruptors. All formulas are toxicologist approved, gluten-free, and vegan, and they really work. Multiple studies show that over 90% of women taking Pro's hair supplements saw less shedding, more growth, and improved overall appearance in just 90 days. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful hair, 90 days. Get on it. Try your own custom hair supplements and you'll get 15% off right now. Get yours at pros.com slash date dateline. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash date dateline for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off custom hair supplements. Stop the shed in 2022. Kimberly loves pros. Me too. Thank you, pros. Thank you, pros. Pros, 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 pros. If you're perfect for if you're on a catwalk, change your outfits for your B roll. Pros, 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 strike a pose. <laughs> so Jimmy learns that Larry's favorite show is America's Most Wanted, which is just, is he hoping to be on it? Is that why? I feel like that's why. That's weird to me. No, I think that he is a little bit of a true crime buff, which is the weird part of it. I think he did follow these cases. I think the confusing thing is that I think he did commit some of the crimes that he followed, but I think some he didn't. That's my thought. I don't know. I could be wrong. Katie's been wrong before. (laughs) (laughs) So it's on TV in the room, like on Saturday nights in the TV room. So Jimmy hatches a very dangerous plan to get Larry to trust him, but they make it sound like he hatches a very dangerous plan. I don't know why they say that. It's really a spur of the moment plan that just comes out of opportunity. Larry and Jimmy are watching America's Most Wanted one Saturday night when a big prisoner comes in and changes the channel. And under his breath, Larry mutters, hey, that's not right. I was watching that. You know what else isn't right, Larry? Killing girls. Snatching them into your van and killing them and dumping their bodies in the woods. That ain't right, Larry. That ain't right. But at least I feel like he has some levels of morality. You don't change the channel when someone is watching it. Wear the right hat to the right battle, you moron. (laughs) Jimmy, remember, is a martial artist, I'm sure. And he's been continuing to work out in prison. So he is in fit form. He's ready to go. He says, this is my moment to get Larry to trust me. So he gets up and he changes the channel back. And this, okay, I think Katie is rolling her eyes out of her head. I think... It's because we are hearing this story only from Jimmy's perspective. And the way Jimmy describes it, he is like an action hero. He's like the Matrix where he jumps up and time freezes and he does like a bunch of kicks before he lands. That kind of thing. It is. He's like Neo. Jimmy thinks he's the one, the only one, the first one. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It's just the Earth started with Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy also is so bombastic in his storytelling that it makes them unbelievable. <laughs> it's true. I was like, I bet about 40% of this story that's happening right now is true. And I was trying to suss out 
which parts of it actually happened. Uh, Forty is generous. So he changes the channel. The big guy jumps up. He says, he, Jimmy says he was all slobbering. So like really paints the picture for you, his word choice and says, hey, Joe, change the channel back right now. I'll rip your head off. And he changes the channel back. And Jimmy just or Jimmy tells us that he just looks him straight in the eye and changes the channel back again. And the guy jumps up again and starts screaming at Jimmy. And Jimmy is laughing as he's telling the story because he's so proud of himself. This story has been embellished over time is all I'm saying. I don't know if the exchanges went on this. It's fine. Okay. I'm not. It's Jimmy's story to tell. I'm being a jerk. I'm sorry, Jimmy. I'm sure this is exactly the way it happened. Jimmy says he throws a particular cuss word at the guy that he knew would set him off, which we don't get to hear which the cuss word was. And Katie and I just had a five minute conversation about what that word was that we are going to cut out of the episode because we can't say any of the awards. So. But I think we have arrived at the correct conclusion because Kimberly nailed it. Good job, Kimberly. I think we agree on what that word was. Yeah. And it's a word no one should say. Jimmy says that the guy jumps up and takes a swing at him. Jimmy hits him and then kicks him through three rows of chairs. It's very much like lock, stock, two smoking barrels. It's very much like this is a slow-mo part of a Guy Ritchie movie or like Goodfellas or I don't know where you're kicking somebody back and they're going, and then falling. I was thinking more like something supernatural like Buffy or something where a vampire or someone who has extra strength throws someone in the air and they go through the roof and then come back down again. Like These inhuman feats of strength that throw someone like they're a javelin really long distances. But you see why the story is just not believable in my mind, right? Where I just I have a really hard time believing the story in its entirety because I don't maybe that happened. I don't know. The three rows of chairs did not happen. I think we can all agree that the three rows, he did not push or kick this giant, huge man through three rows of chairs. It would have been better if he had said he had roundhoused him, come around with this leg up gently and gone, <laughs> gersh, and just hit. And then he'd gone, boom, 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 boom. So Lester says that Larry had a front seat row to this Saturday night. A front row seat. Front row seat. Larry had a front row seat to this Saturday night primetime fight. And he tells the guards it wasn't Jimmy's fault. Jimmy was not the instigator. And so he sticks up for Jimmy. Jimmy became Larry's new best friend and hero. So that plan worked out well. It did. Jimmy also might have a broken jaw if we think the fight went in a more accurate manner, which I kind of feel like it did. I feel like Jimmy would not want to fight with people because of the, the face. That's a good point. Yeah, this is moneymaker. I mean, someone could come up to you in prison and just slice your face. Yeah, that's true. You'd have a scar there for life. Yeah, and we are assuming that Jimmy loves his face. We are assuming that Jimmy has a level of vein that is moderately high. I'm assuming that Jimmy has one of those light up um, mirrors in his prison cell. A vanity mirror. A vanity mirror. Yeah, it's called a vanity mirror, literally. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, with beauty lights. Pluck his eyebrows in prison. Yeah, based on Jimmy's clothes, face, fake tan, and hair, I would say his upkeep is, he's well-maintained. 
Right. But he's also rugged because he is now seen strutting on an abandoned train track. So you know that he's really rugged. How many places did they go to in the city? He has at least hit 10,000 steps on his Fitbit. He is doing great. Yeah. Jimmy says that he had sat with Larry in the library some nights and saw that Larry liked to read his hometown newspaper. So Jimmy started by asking him about things that are public knowledge. He doesn't stick He doesn't go with like the Trisha case just yet, which I thought was smart. He lies and says that his mom is from the same town as Larry, which seems like a huge coincidence. And I would be suspicious of that. But Larry, it does not. This goes with my theory that Larry is just not the sharpest tool in the shed. So he says, my mom's from that town. She gets that newspaper. She's told me some stories she's read about you. She read about that girl, Jesse's case. And he says, you know, all the papers that my mom reads says that you've killed multiple women. And I don't even care what you're in for. Just be honest with me. We're friends because I don't care about murder. I just care about honesty. That's my moral compass is. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I understand, Larry, how girls can get under your skin and be so bothersome to you that you have to go and kill them. You know, like no big, no big deal. Which is like that line that investigators always do in interrogation rooms where they're like, so what happened, man? Did she say something that really bothered you? You know, my girl is always saying stuff that's pissing me off, you know? So I get it. I get it when things like that happen. Girls are the worst. It's it is. It's not even lawyers that use that line. Notaries also use it. My wife took my jet skis in the divorce. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over the notary in our double date a couple weeks ago. Use. Why are you divorcing her? She's a stunner. So Larry opens up about Jesse. He tells Jimmy exactly what he did to Jesse, which is horrific. And we're not going to go into the details. Jimmy says it was the hardest thing he's ever had to do to listen to all this horrible stuff and not just kill this guy. But he has to remind himself of the mission and what he's trying to do for Trisha's family. And so this is where a turn happens in Jimmy. This is his protagonist origin story where he starts to care about Trisha and the victims and their families and is not just in it for himself anymore. That's called something else. What is that called? Something shift? Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. Okay, press on. So Jimmy decides to go slowly before he brings up Trisha. He waits like a few days, which I think he felt like was a long enough time. He says, the newspaper says you killed a college girl. But then he thought, maybe that was too far. Did I push him? You know, is did I blow it? But it works because Larry might not be that bright. He says, Yeah, I did. I drove my van up. I tried to kiss her and she fought back. She fought back harder than anybody ever had. So I had to kill her. And then I knew I had done it again. Like, oops, I did it again. I killed another girl. And so he goes to the woods and he buries her body and he gives a general location near a river in Indiana, but nothing specific. Deep in the woods near the river. How those two things go together. There are rivers in woods. Deep into the woods? Yeah. Okay. You got to watch more hiking videos. I'll send you some of my favorites. No, I'm not. Wa- I'm not watching hiking videos. So absolutely not. 
I only watch van life videos and hiking videos on YouTube. Oh my goodness. So it's just, you just watch people being outside. Right. Just go outside. Whilst I am inside. Yeah. Yes, I understand. Because I have a headache. Can't go outside. From being inside. (laughs) Kimberly likes to be inside. Here's the issue that I'm having with Jimmy getting this confession out of him about Trisha is now because Larry's not smart, Larry's going to try to impress Jimmy. So he thinks that Jimmy wants him to have killed a bunch of girls because that makes Larry good to Jimmy, right? That's what Larry thinks that Jimmy wants. So I'm worried that this isn't a real confession because he's just telling, he's trying to, yeah, yeah, sure, I killed that girl too. Can you see that? Do you see what I'm talking about? I'm worried about that. It doesn't feel legitimate to me. There's something later that makes it feel more legitimate. It makes it feel weird. It's very weird. So the next night he sees Larry in the prison workshop area at night. It's a restricted area. You're not supposed to be there. I need to talk about the prison wood shop. I didn't know that that was a thing. At the high maximum security psychiatric prison with woodworking tools like chisels. AKA weapons. Full chisels, like a full shank, just for whittling. Saws, knives, hammers. Full circular saw. So I just, I have a lot of questions about safety. And then, especially when Jimmy tells us there's no guard, he just walks right in. Well, no, it's a restricted area, but maybe it was unlocked or maybe Larry had some way of getting in. It's supposed to be a restricted area. So restricted to who? The less criminally insane? No, I mean, I bet during the day there is a guard in there supervising. That's would be my guess. At night, it should be locked up like chain link, you know? Is that guard in like a Michelin man suit? Is he like the the Stay Puft Marshmallow? So he comes over just in case someone tries to stab him? He needs to be in a full marshmallow outfit. I know. I'm thinking of like a woodshop teacher in high school who's like missing several thumbs. And like that, that how much worse it would be for a prison guard working in the woodshop. It needs to be someone with a face shield in a marshmallow outfit, period. That's it. So... Jimmy comes up behind him, which is not smart to do in a psychiatric prison to someone who is in a woodshop. In any prison, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So Jimmy comes up behind him and he sees that Larry has all these statues lined up, like 10 or 15 of them. And Jimmy can't tell what they are at first. And then he sees that Larry has a big map laid out. And when Larry sees Jimmy he kind of freaks out and folds up the map and puts it away really quick. And Jimmy says, what are those things? And Larry says, they're falcons, Jimmy. They watch over the dead. So, and they're like big chess pieces. They're wood carved falcons. And Jimmy saw the map had little red dots all over it in Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, that whole area. And Jimmy thinks those must be burial sites of his victims. And at this point, Jimmy steals the map. (laughs) Right. Knocks down all the falcons and runs out of the room. No, grabs one falcon for proof, I feel like, at least. And the map. Yeah. What were your thoughts on the little falcon statues? I think it's really weird. Do they watch over the dead? 
I think it's really creepy. It's not great. I don't like the Falcons. I feel like he's going to send them to the families of the victims. Why are they there? If they're watching over the dead, why are they there? Well, I think he does role play and he lays out his map and he puts them on the little red dots. So they're watching over the dead. So he's basically playing his own little weird game of murder world of Warcraft. Like he doesn't have a computer, so he's moving pieces on the board. Well, again, he's a Civil War reenactor. This is essentially his own board game. Oh, I see. You lay out a map and you put down the different pieces of where you have buried someone and you remember it. Falconopoly. (laughs) Those are his trophies. You know, from this, I mean, you can't have trophies of your murder victims in prison, but you can in the wood shop carve falcons. Shoots and falcons. Done. So Jimmy feels like euphoric. I have cracked the case and he wants to tell the FBI about it right now. Oh, and by the way, when Katie said Jimmy grabs the map, he did not do that. This is what we hoped he would do, but he doesn't. This is what he needs to somehow steal the map. Right. So he feels like he cracked the case. He wants to tell the FBI about it right away. So he goes to the hotline. He has that phone number for the FBI fake girlfriend lady. And he gets her voicemail because it's after hours. So he leaves a message. Really quick before we move on from the map. This is when Jimmy needed a photographic memory because don't the maps have longitude and latitude lines on the sides? Yeah. This would have been a way that If he had told you she was buried in Indiana, really quickly try to memorize some of the points that are in Indiana when you're looking at the map. The problem is Larry folded up the map the second he saw Jimmy because he didn't. He never brought it out again. I thought for some reason he brought it out again. He didn't. No, he hid that map the second he saw. That's why I know Jimmy's telling the truth. And that's why I think Larry is not faking it. I understand because he didn't want Jimmy to see the locations. That makes me think Larry is telling the truth, that he does have these bodies there, because he hides the map. I do also really wish that he had also tried to hide the Falcons. Just covering them with his body (laughs) would have made me giggle. Stuffing them down his prison uniform. And one of them's like falling out. No, what's that? I don't, that's not mine. That's not mine. You look Blumpy under there, Larry. No, I've gained weight from the good prison food. That's why I'm lumpy. So Jimmy leaves a message for the FBI lady. He's like, come and get me. Come and get the map. Come and get the Falcons. And he thinks I'm going to be out in a matter of hours. They told me within 24 hours, I am out when I make this phone call. So he is elated. He thinks the troops are going to march in and save the day. It doesn't work out that way. What he doesn't know is that the FBI lady didn't get his message because I just technology. I don't know. One of the worst time to have a voicemail not go through is this time. And his one inside contact, the chief psychiatrist, is away on vacation. This is very frustrating. I feel like this should have been a plan. They should have had a contract. There should be a chain of command where if one person leaves, like the president, and then it goes down to the next person and then the next person, you know? Yeah, I feel like that if you are going, for some reason, you don't get that message because your voice mailbox is full or whatever. I feel like it should be several people are listening to those messages from the prison specifically, knowing that that call is from that phone. 
I feel like I'll go one further. It's a hotline where there's someone sitting by the phone 24 hours a day waiting for that phone call, like a 911 operator. That's the gig, isn't it? Yeah, you just sit there. You just sit there and you can watch Yellow Jackets over and over and then just wait for the phone to ring. But then if the phone, what if you missed it? What if it was the one time you were in the bathroom or you go under the bathroom under such enormous pressure because you're just staring at your landline? <laughs> you get like a bladder infection for, because you were holding it all the time. You're like, I got a UTI. Thanks, Jimmy. Exactly. Just infection upon infection. So these two horrible things, the FBI not getting his message which happens to be at the same time as the chief psychiatrist is away on vacation. This is the worst timing. Jimmy is the worst unlucky person ever. But Jimmy makes the worst decision I've ever seen on a dateline. And I am not exaggerating. I 100% feel like this is true. And you're screaming at your TV. So Jimmy is so elated that he is going to be out. He impulsively goes over to Larry's cell and decides now is a great time. Well, I don't have a map or a falcon in my possession to give Larry a piece of my mind. He says, I'm going to be going home tomorrow, and I want you to know all about me, and I think you are a crazy killer. I think you're repulsive to me, and I hate you, and I've been faking being your friend. Everything. Calls him every name he can think of, maybe including that one particular word. Unsure. I think that maybe someone needed to tell Jimmy, hey, you can put all this in a letter. (laughs) You can leave and then write him a letter. Yeah. These are like you journal these feelings out and then maybe you send it to them later when you are safely out of prison and the case has been solved. This feels, again, kind of like a blowhard. It's bad. It jeopardizes the whole thing. It's so dumb. You don't you need to wait till you have the receipts in your hand before you show your cards. Though I'm mixing a lot of metaphors. And confirmation that you're leaving tomorrow. Yeah. But also leaving tomorrow doesn't mean you can't get stabbed at 3 a.m. What are you doing? I have no idea what he's doing. Totally. The case has not been solved yet. Why would you piss off this guy that you have worked so hard? Just wait. I don't understand. Kimberly is getting upset. (laughs) It makes no sense. Just wait. Why show your hand? You don't have the map. We'll never know. Why would you tell off this guy and make him suspicious before you have the police have gotten the evidence they need? So the next morning at 530 a.m., a little lady in a white smock comes into Jimmy's cell. She is Larry's psychologist. Remember, only the chief psychologist or psychiatrist knows about Jimmy. She is Larry's psychologist. She starts yelling at him. Why did you yell at my patient? You've turned Larry into an emotional wreck. Oh no, is the serial killer an emotional wreck? That is so sad. I'm so devastated by that. She tells the guards, take Jimmy, throw him in the hole. God forbid you upset the serial killer. It's very strange. And Jimmy's like, no problem. I'm cocky. It's fine. It's I'm still going to be out of here in 24 hours. No big deal. But then time starts to pass and Jimmy is in the hole. So he doesn't really know what time it is. He just knows by the meals that are coming in. So like breakfast comes and he's like, 
hmm, I should be out of here really soon. And then lunch comes again. And he's like, why am I still in here? And, and dinner comes and then breakfast again. And he's like, where are these guys? I did what I was supposed to do. Have they cheated me? He thinks like I've been betrayed and I trusted these law enforcement guys and they are not coming to get me. Meanwhile, Beaumont is looking for Jimmy. He's like, how can we lose someone in a prison? Where is Jimmy? Because there's no paper trail of being put in the hole. It's unsure how that happens. But because his contact is out of town, the psychiatrist, they can't figure out where Jimmy has been put. They lose him for two weeks in the prison and they're, get, they're getting frantic. Where is their informant? It's not until the psychiatrist comes back from a two week vacation, which good for her. That's a great work life balance. <laughs> two week vacation. Yeah, we should all be so lucky. So it's two weeks. Jimmy's in the hole. And the psychiatrist realizes he's in the hole when she comes back from vacation and alerts the FBI. The FBI comes in and they're like, oh, my God, Jimmy, I'm so sorry. Dude, we never got your message. Bro, are you mad? Are you mad? I'm so sorry. That sucks. Jimmy's like, I've been two weeks in the hole. And they're like, sorry. It's so the opposite of what they said they were going to do. You know, absolutely. We have this foolproof plan. Also, isn't the FBI faux girlfriend, isn't she checking in on him every week? Yeah, you would think. Okay. But she lost him too. So she can't visit him. And she she can't get in touch with the psychiatrist because apparently the psychiatrist is unreachable when she's on vacation, even though she has a secret informant in a maximum security psychiatric prison. She should have left a forwarding phone number of the hotel where she is going to be at in case of emergencies. I literally think after four days, you go down there and figure out where he is or what's going on. Yeah. You figure it out. You send FBI in and just pull him no matter what. So they're like, sorry, our bad apologies. And Jimmy's like, whatever, just get the map, get, you know, get the Falcons. So they go to Larry's cell. Guess what? Map and the Falcons are gone. He ate them. He that no, that map is in the toilet along with the prison wine or whatever they do in those toilets. Yeah. Prison wine. Yeah. He might have eaten those Falcons, shaved them down in the wood shop and then eaten the shavings and then had horrible poops. What did he do with them? He mailed one, we know. Well, we'll find that out later. Yeah. But I think he had done that way earlier, too. I think he made a lot of these. Interesting. Okay. So Lester Holt says to Jimmy, what were you thinking? Why did you let yell at Larry? And we all the audience is screaming at you. This is all of the audience's villain origin story. Why you yelled at Larry and showed your hand. And Jimmy says, well, it's hard to understand if you're not in that situation because it's a pressure cooker. We've heard that before. Is that on the bingo cards? No, but that's a good one. Pressure cooker. I was just under so much pressure because of the pressure cooker, you know, with the cooking and the pressure. It builds up and you set it and forget it. He just exploded. He said, I just exploded and it felt so good to unload on him. 
And Lester's like, you did unload on him. And I'm so glad that you felt good in that moment. And that's amazing for your mental health. But the thing is, you were on a mission to find this girl's body. But I'm glad you felt good, Jimmy, in that moment. Good for you. Now the map is gone. And Jimmy says, yeah, I I wish I would have waited just a few more days before I yelled at him. That probably would have been the best thing to do. But, you know, I did all I could. No, you didn't. You should have waited to yell at him. And I feel like I did my best. No, you didn't. You could have waited to yell at him. And I'm really proud of myself in what I accomplished. Of course you are, Jimmy. You didn't really accomplish it because you yelled at him. No, he did. I mean, he got him to admit that there was more to do with that murder, which also needed to happen. But what they really wanted was a body for closure for the family. Yeah. It's a shame that his hot temper. Yeah. Trisha's parents, meanwhile, have known nothing about the sting operation and they don't find out about it until 10 years later when they read about it in a Playboy magazine article. Trisha's parents are so grateful for Jimmy's courage, but they're also furious and rightfully so that he blew his cover and ruined the whole thing. And Gary, the dad, is like, why would you be so close? And you ruined it all. And Trisha's mom says it eats me up inside that he was that close and then he just blew it but at least they know for sure now that Larry was the killer so at least they feel like they have that kind of closure now Jesse's parents are happy that he's in prison can't do this to anyone else that they have answers but they sort of had answers all along right their case was I mean he their case is why he's in prison yes so they feel proud that Jesse is the thing that's the woman that stopped him. Yes, and they should. He would have killed a ton of other people if he hadn't gotten stopped by Jesse's case. So, yeah, he has no possibility of parole. And in a hilarious turn of events, he has since confessed to more murders to reporters and investigators. So this is a question, would he have talked anyways? And the entire Jimmy plot was completely unnecessary. Or did Jimmy kind of get him going, kind of started to open the pickle jar and then it kind of came loose? I see what you're saying. So which is which? Jimmy, was you, were you totally useless and this would have come out anyways? No, I think number two. You think he got him started? He started to open the pickle jar. I do. Yeah. Okay. I think being having nothing would not have gotten the results that he got. He did get some results. This end part, he didn't take what he needed to take to steal it. And then he didn't. Also, you could probably say this is where they I saw him hide it in the woodworking shop. Go get it. Someone needs to go get it. Can they not take people's person? Well, I don't know. Hmm. No, he put the map in his shirt, in his prison uniform. But he's going to move it somewhere. So toss the room. He ate that map or put it in the toilet. Hmm. I'm telling you, that map is in the toilet, dissolved put into hooch or whatever they do in the toilet. Yeah, you're probably right. Or he ripped it up and ate it. Or I was going to say both, but both doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Because Jimmy yelled at him. I think he did it like that night. Right. Because he figured, oh my God, they're coming. He's totally going to tell on me. So the investigators are sure that he's killed before and that he would kill again. And Jimmy says, yes, there are lots of dots on the map. He's definitely killed before, but there's no proof of that because the map is in the toilet or in 
Larry's stomach. So the prosecutors make Jimmy take a lie detector test to prove that he's telling the truth about the map and the Falcons because they still don't trust him, even though he's been doing this for them for months. I kind of get it, though. I kind of get it. He His stories seem unbelievable. It's just that his delivery. What I want is for them to have lie detector tested him about the kicking the guy through three rows of chairs. Deception detected. I need to know. Do we need that? Yeah, for sure. Kimberly detects deception. But Jimmy passes the lie detector test about the Falcons and the map. Completely passes. Totally passes. At this point, Jimmy is not strutting anymore, but he's standing outside of a cobblestone street like a little restaurant outside and he's peering through the windows at night like a super creeper and it's at that point when they say they make him take a lie detector test so I feel like they put him in like the shadiest b-roll they could find where he's looking super creepy to be like we lie detector test him we did not trust him I think that seems right so at least they know now that he killed Trisha So Beaumont decides to give him full credit, an A minus on the assignment, even though his main objective was to have a body. And that whole thing was no body, no no deal. Like, okay, that was very nice of Beaumont. Which, again, makes me think the detective is doing a favor for Big Jim. But that's just me. (laughs) That's just me. But I feel like if Big Jim had that much pull, well, you know, you think he was putting him in the maximum security psychiatric prison as like a scared straight program. I will scare you straight. (laughs) So Beaumont lets Jimmy out of prison and scrubs his record clean because he was very brave. That's quite a feat that not just let out of prison, but we will scrub your record. Wow. That is so nice. That's a sweet deal. But it, it was hard. I would have been like, nobody, no case. Sorry. You're tough. You you have to go back to your regular prison for at least eight more years. Sorry. What if it was you and you had been through all of that? I mean, he blew it. He did blow it. If he had just waited and they could have stormed Larry's cell before Larry was on to him and they could have gotten the map and they could have found so many other girls. I think he could have gotten five years off. If it was a 10-year total sentence, give him half off. Give him a C, C plus on the grade. D plus. Partial credit. Yeah, partial credit. Take the class pass fail next time, Jimmy. Pass fail. (laughs) That brought me back. That's a phrase you just don't hear unless you're in school. Yeah, so take it, pass, fail. And then I think that's actually how they scored this. That's why he got a pass for it. Okay, that was that teacher's call. So there you go. So it's been 15 years since this happened. Well, when this Dateline aired. And for 15 years, Jimmy has been the only one to see the Falcons besides Larry. And Beaumont is telling Lester Holt, oh, I've never seen the Falcons. And Lester's like, oh, you've never seen the Falcons? And he goes, here's a Falcon right now. And he holds up like we've seen the Falcons and he holds up an iPad with a photo of one of the Falcons on it. So it turns out Dateline went to meet Larry's twin brother, who maybe doesn't have mutton chops. We probably to distinguish himself from Larry. Would like to hear more about the brother. Yeah. Is he a Civil War reenactor, but on the Confederate side? How does that work? Just questions. Just would like to see the brother. Yeah. Right. So he met with him and the brother showed them some falcons that Larry had carved in the prison workshop and sent to their mother as a nice gift. 
So it's nice to send your mother your murder token. That watches over the dead. Here you go, mom. That watches. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. Could be taken badly, but that's fine. Yeah, mom, you're going to die soon. So this will watch over you. Yeah. It's like a horse head in the bed. You open up the cur- <laughs> the covers on the bed. And there's that weird little chess piece falcon. <laughs> Lester shows the falcon photo to Jimmy and he says, that's it. And it's so bizarre, Lester. He says Lester's name. Mark it off your bingo cards that he says Lester's name. It's the second time. Yeah. He says it's really weird to see a photo of them, but it's kind of a relief because it backs up everything I've been saying about the falcon. So now people will totally believe me. Jimmy got to spend five more years with his dad before he passed away. And he feels like the whole thing has given him a second chance in life. He's done well in real estate. And surprise, surprise, not any surprise. He's co-written a book called In With The Devil, which is his story of the case and about his redemption. Again, he kind of failed. I feel like we keep brushing over the fact that he kind of failed. Well, he knows. You've told him six times now. Kimberly is not pleased. (laughs) Jimmy is now tired of strutting and at this point is crouching down on the beach, picking up seashells or sand and letting it run through his fingers like he's in a Mariah Carey video from the 90s. I had a vision of love (laughs) and it was all that you give it to me. (laughs) Sorry, does anyone remember that song? That was a deep cut. Yes, absolutely. I do. So the book's called In With The Devil and the subtitle is A Fallen Hero. Who is the fallen hero? Was Jimmy the fallen hero? I think he meant to say a faulty hero, a faulty. (laughs) A falcon hero. Oh, a a falcon hero. He was a high school hero, like a football team hero. Is that what he means? Yes. Because then he started selling drugs at like 17. So when was he a hero that fell? Okay. So it says a fallen hero, a serial killer, and a dangerous bargain for redemption. That's the rule of three, Lester. And it's brilliant. Yep. Jimmy says, I have a bunch of Hollywood projects in the works, including that movie with Brad Pitt. But he's most proud of that his ordeal has reinstigated some cold case investigations revolving around Larry. Investigators have dug up near places where Larry had been over the years, and they've found articles of women's clothing and a belt that was modified like into a weapon. And they've all been set out for DNA. I don't know if we did any outside research to find if we've found anything. When you say we, you mean me. Well, that used to be your job to do outside research. Kimberly? Did it not? Am I wrong? It was, but then Yellow Jackets. What do you want me to do? (laughs) No, that's well worth your time. This was a bad week for that. I needed to start that on Tuesday and I didn't. And then I couldn't stop. I knew I should have waited. No. I apologize, but it was, there's nothing I could do. It was over. No, you don't need to apologize. I'm more excited that you watched Yellow Jackets and did outside research much more. I hope so. What's this person's name? Larry Hall. <laughs> Obituary 2021. No, we don't know. Okay, the book is coming up right away, by the way. <laughs> Immediately. How much is it going for on Amazon? Let's find out, shall we? 
Oh, it's not terrible. Why is the paperback $57.30? Oh, it's very rare then and out of print. People very much want the paperback. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they don't want a hardcover of that book. Why not? Hardcovers are nice. Not of this book. Oh, okay. It's not a collector's item. I can't find it right now. We'll have to update later. I'm unsure. They're, they believe, it says they believe he may have killed 30 to 40 women. Wow. 30 to 40 women. I, I don't like this, though, because sometimes what they try to do is pin a bunch of cold cases on one guy. And again, I think Larry's dumb. Yeah, you're right. I think Larry is not intelligent. So I think that also Larry likes to be the center of attention by admitting to crimes that maybe he didn't do. I'm concerned about Larry's confessions. Let me just say that. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. It struck me like that. I was like, mm. I think maybe you did a few murders and you should still be in that prison, but I don't know if you did that many. Yeah. But the map makes me kind of believe him. Yeah, that the map was done before and it had the points on it. Yeah, agreed. This says that there was at least one case, Cindy Lucas, and DNA genetic material found on the cigarettes in her car. He was found guilty of that. But I don't know if it's the same Larry. Could it be a different Larry? So there's a bunch of cases that they are working on. Good. Yeah, it's great. So Jimmy, who Jimmy tells Lester, I did a good deed and I've done a lot of good things and all the good things that are good. And for that, I feel redemption. And I've done some good things, good for all the, to make up for all the bad things I did. And I was like, okay, and I'm going to keep on strutting through this town. And good for him. What is his Lester line? Hold on. It's too, it was too much for me. I don't have it. That is unfortunate because he does say, oh, God, Lester, let me tell you. And he also does that thing before answering a question, which he prefaces it. And I do it sometimes, too. And I hate it. So I try to take it out of the podcast where it's I'm going to answer that question. And I'm going to tell you why it's that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you just want to hear yourself talk more. I know what you're doing. Do I do? I probably do that, too. You don't. You don't do it. I've never noticed you do it. I'm going to have to listen now to see if you do. But I don't. I've never listened for that because it's not something. But it, it, no, it's a very specific way of doing it. It's the same thing with him saying Lester's first name. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, Lester, it's been this. No, I don't know how I, I don't. You're not buddies. He's immediately putting himself like with Lester, like you reporter for Dateline and me, samesies. Yeah. <laughs> Lester's not just a reporter for Dateline. Like, he's interviewed presidents. You are strutting down the street but on an abandoned railroad track, Jimmy. And in the city. And in the city. And on the beach. Okay, so he does change outfits when he goes to the city. He's wearing a suit with a yellow tie. Did you miss it? Yeah, I 100% missed it. He's in a full suit, business Jimmy. This very special Dateline is dedicated to two very special Patreons. Kelly S. and Caroline S. Two S's. We love you. We thank you. Is Caroline with a C or a K? It's with a C. That would be a, great if they were both. No, we have a KS and a CS. CKS. Is that a thing? CK1 was a perfume that was really, really in. So this is CK2 because there's two of them. Perfect. To become one. 
<laughs> when to become one. That's the total the kind of video that would be on the sand, running the sand through your fingers. Yep. It is. I need some love like I've never given love before. Oh, boy. For Kelly and Caroline. He also needs the kind of hair that wind can go through, and he does not. It's too thick to have any movement. There's no such thing as too thick. There's no movement, though. It's too tight. I don't know. It's protecting his precious skull. Let it it live. (laughs) Let it live. It's precious cargo in there. Also, Kelly and Caroline are very precious cargo. We appreciate you. Yes, you are. You're precious cargo for us. Thank you so much. So much. Kimberly appreciates you. So does Katie. (laughs) More than Kimberly. Okay. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. B-roll Bonanza. So B-roll Bonanza, I got a water tower. Yeah. Jesse's parents going through a photo album. Yeah. We got close-ups of the handcuffs and accordion at the beginning. Lots of close-up shots of those. And I really wanted to see the actual accordion push across the table. We did not see it. I would have liked it. It's just a phantom hand. (laughs) Pushing it. We see video footage, like news footage of the odd father, the chin, walking around in his bathrobe. I'm really glad they got that footage. I'm going to look him up. I'm curious about that guy. Because I couldn't, I wouldn't have gotten the visual if you said walking around New York City in a bathrobe acting crazy. I wouldn't, I needed. I feel like I had it. You had <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I got that pretty clear. We see a bocce ball court game in prison. It's definitely like a prison yard. I don't know how, where they got that shot from. Is there stock footage of bocce ball in prison that they got? Because they didn't go to the prison and shoot a bocce ball just for that scene. They definitely got the footage from somewhere else. So maybe a prison documentary. Speaking of prison, did you see when they're showing the lunchroom? It's very strangely set up. It's got the paper plates and the knives. And then I would say every other glass has a clear plastic cup with red drink in it. That felt very set up like from a movie about prison because it was very set up like a school, no, like a birthday, kid's birthday party where the picnic is all set up with juice in front of each cup. It's also set up a lot like Jonestown. It was alarming. It is. It's like, here's your Kool-Aid. You don't get Kool-Aid. Here's your Kool-Aid. You don't get Kool-Aid. So if every other place has Kool-Aid, what do you do? You're glad that you don't have the Kool-Aid? You just don't drink it if you have it, right? You're like, okay, there could be something happening. So do you err on the side of caution and just do not? You do one of those coughs and you throw it behind your shoulder. (laughs) Except that doesn't work with Kool-Aid because then somebody behind you is like soaking red, wet. Or you cough and pour it in the guy's next to you glass. Yeah, you need a potted plant to pour it into. That's what you need, but you don't have one in that situation. I just can't imagine that they serve red stain drink and maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they do. They 100% do on 60 Days In. Okay, well, there you go. Gatorade and stuff like that. Kool-Aid. They use the Kool-Aid to make lipstick and stuff. Oh, that's right. I knew that. And to make drugs stuff and those drinks. We need to go through Jimmy's strutting through the city, whatever city it is, Chicago in a suit. Yeah. He's out of his moto jacket. Also, 
there is a lot of close-up shots of just Jimmy's face with the shadow of the prison bars on it. <laughs> and I need to know whose idea that was too. Lester's. Because it was a little bit like, steel bars <laughs> wrapped around me. It was right there. Okay. Yep. Classic. But this whole thing, had, Jimmy has a very 90s vibe to him. Just something about him. Like, it's very 80s, 90s. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so that makes perfect sense that they would do some sort of 80s, 90s music video tribute with the bars. Steel bars. Yes, it's time. And if you don't know Steel Bars by Michael Bolton, go do yourself a favor. <laughs> it's a hidden gem. Okay. Fashion police. We've got Larry has a mullet and mutton. Yeah. We're aware of that, right? Mull mutton. Mull mutton. Molten. A molten. She has a molten. I just have not seen a mullet and mutton in a minute. That extreme. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I've ever. You haven't ever? No. Well, it's hard to see the mullet and the mutton in the same shot. You need a side shot to see the mullet. But they're both there. There's one where they're so pronounced. I don't remember when it was. It's when these are at their bushiest and the mullet is at its full ripening. I don't know what you would call that when that happens. There's a gerbil glued to each side of his face. Yeah, like those furry keychains that people wear, those balls. You just went. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What else do you have? Titles that are bad. Let's go. It's time. Jimmy takes the shot and it's an air ball. (laughs) Air ball. Playboy of the month in the hole. I don't know where I was going with that. Prison playmates. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) America's most wanted informant. Oh, okay. There we go. Taking it on the chin because of the chin. Taking it on the chin is good. I never got anywhere with Falcon or Falcon. The only thing I could think of was the Maltese Falcon. What about falconry for felons? Yeah, that's good. That's as, that's as close as I got. I couldn't do it either. And I tried with the birds. Yeah. I had mutton dressed as soldier. I don't know if you know the ex- expression mutton dressed as lamb. No. <laughs> okay. Well, then it doesn't work if you don't know the expression, but I figured you might not. And then I did boiling kettle calling the pot an a-hole, which was <laughs> Jimmy kept saying that he was the boiling kettle was coming when he was going to go confront him (laughs) in the room. And I was like, all right, Mr. Boiling Kettle that couldn't control his temper all of a sudden at the very last minute. By the way, it did cross my mind that it was a cop out, that he threw it for some reason. And I didn't know why. I don't know how much of his stories I can believe. It was a strange reaction. I don't know why he would do that. This was because if he was anything like me, he would believe that if he blew it, he is not getting out of prison. And he did believe that. So never mind. Scratch what I said. I I know that's true. I don't know what's wrong with me. Okay. Oh, I had mapping out murder because the map. And then I had a keen eye for serial crime. There we go. Jimmy's last name is Keen. Good job. Yes. Jimmy's last name is Keen. It was mentioned once at the very beginning and never again. So this doesn't help my case. I wish I could have gotten somewhere with the Revolutionary War or Civil War. Oh, I tried. what I do? I'm sure our listeners are going to have great titles for this one. Oh, I did. Here we go. It's a colon one. Mullet, muttons, and muskets, colon, reenacting a crime. I love it. That's good. 
that works right because it's muskets. Yep, I love it. Kind of goes with, all right, there we go. Sorry. Thank you guys for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode because I had a blast doing this episode. This was a super fun Kimberly's favorite and I enjoyed it very much. It was a good choice. Thank you. Thank you. So check out our Patreon. We have bonus episodes every month. This time we're doing a 2020. We're doing a bit of a cheat date on Dateline. Cheating on Dateline. Worth it. It's fun. It's really fun. We have many a very in-depth discussions. It keeps it spicy when it's a cheat date. It is a spicy episode. So if you like a little spice in your crime, this would be the episode for you. (laughs) So check out that. And we're doing 90 Day Fiance also on Patreon. And I'm doing Amazing Race on Patreon also. So Come check it out and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. A general reminder, I never check Facebook. I check it like once a month. So apologies if I just got back to you the other day. Apologies. Uh, Bye, everybody. Be your own third person. Be your own mutton. Be be your own third person is better. Katie says bye. Kimberly says bye. Do they like stay away from him and just whisper behind his back? Is there a council of people that make decisions on behalf of the reenactors? Is there a president of the reenactor ship? Yes. I don't think you understand how dead serious these things are. No, I do. That's why I'm asking. Is there some sort of government in place in the club, whatever team league of reenactors where they would have to discuss and allow decide if they were going to allow him to participate? Or is it like, if you want to be here, you get to do it, you know? Absolutely not. I guarantee you this is a hierarchy much like Kiwanas or Lions or one of the clubs where you have a president that's voted upon and a cabinet underneath him, a, tre- a secretary that takes notes, a treasurer who holds the coins, gold (laughs) coins, silver coins in the little pouches. And I think that everyone's outfits are checked ahead of time. I don't think you can join unless you have the proper weaponry and regalia. Yeah. So for him to show up in the wrong regalia is kind of unacceptable. That's This is your one job. That's what makes me think he was kind of creepy and crazy and they just didn't want to tell him no. No, I don't. I think he was dumb. He got it mixed up in his head. No, but then why would they let him? They were short a guy. That was desperation. They needed him to play a certain thing. Yeah. So there was a case of Mono running through the league. Seth didn't show up. So Larry had to fill in for Seth because Seth's horse got run over by a tractor. So Seth had to handle that at the at his homestead. Because... When you're a reenactor, you also live in the 1850s at home as well. Not everyone has horses lives in the 1850s. People, I see horses now. (laughs) I know, I know. So I can't just show up in jeans and a shirt with Keith Morrison's face on it or in a full body bunny costume and be like, I'm in uniform. I'm in a costume. You could show up as a horse maybe because they had horses back then. But I don't think they let people dressed up as horses. I think they think you were making fun of them. I think so, too. And you'd probably be asked nicely to leave. I know. Are refreshments served? Is there like a picnic table with like stuff? Can that could? No, you bring your own refreshment. You have to bring your own lamb, leg of lamb 
And, <laughs> well, sorry, I know it's not the, a Renaissance dinner. I'm trying to think of what they would eat back. Like a loaf of bread. Right. And a, a hard thing of cheese that you break apart and eat the cheese, eat the bread like that. Something like that. So there's no like catering or craft service table. And if they if there was, it would all be appropriate era food. Just bring your own monk pack bars and call it a day. Mead? Would there be mead? No, this is not Ren Fair. This is reenactment. There would be probably Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Sprite in the, during the Civil War or the Revolutionary War. I just feel like reenactors might drink Sprite. Tea. Or they wouldn't have tea because they want to throw it in the harp. Well, that's the question. Yeah, that's a hot button issue. We don't talk about tea. Someone has tea. One time Steve brought tea and he's banished now from the league. Yes. Because he brought tea. I need to find that actor. It's been on my mind since then, which means <laughs> it's that's too long. I need to go find him and just ask him some questions so I feel better. So I can get some good sleep. Someone found the blood relatives actor. No, they didn't. Where is he? Where does he live? Yes, I followed him on Instagram. I know who he is. Should I reach out and ask him to be on the show? I think you might have to. At this point, we need to just ask about the pig's head. We have to ask about the pig's head. If we can get answers on that. Oh, I can. Please, 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 please. Okay. I will. I will. You can pretend to be our agent. You can say, I represent (laughs) Kimberly and Katie. Sometimes that works. Why don't you try to do that? Sure. I wrote in pink pen this time. Can you see this? It's half in blue, half in pink. I'm never doing that again. (laughs) I thought it was going to be really pretty, and I thought it was kind of a dark pink. And sometimes, have you ever gotten one of those big Sharpie packs with all the colors in them? Yeah. Well, no, but at work we had them. Do you know what? Okay, so I got a deal and I got a really good deal. It was like 24 colors for $9 or $8. It was a crazy deal. I was really excited. Half of the colors are plum unusable because it's like (laughs) pastel green, pastel pink, pastel peach, a nude colored pin. Who? Explain yourself, Sharpie. Explain yourself to me. Also, in case you're new to the show, Katie pronounces pen as pin. In case you're confused. Did I just do it a bunch? Re- just really strongly. You did it. So I felt like I couldn't let it slide this time because I'm going to get comments. So just going to address them right now. Adam, you have to, oh, we have to cut this for something else. No, it's fine. It's cruel. 